when we think about the whole issue of salvation, salvation is a gift, and it's by what? By faith. And then we think about the Christian life, and the Christian life is, it has the idea of works in it. You know, it, it's, a, it's a faith, it's a walk of faith, but it goes down to it is by faithfulness. And so when we think about salvation, this is like one time. You know, this is justification, we're saved and saved forever. It's past tense. But when you think about the Christian life, it's ongoing because it, it's present tense. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So when you think about what we're at, we're here. And we say, okay, I'm, I have been justified by faith. I'm saved. But now I'm in this Christian life. Now I want to I walk worthy of the calling. And, we, and that's what we, we really looked at. And we raised this question. Let me get through there too. Okay. We raised this question. What should we be doing as those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? What should we be doing? We've already seen. We have seen our walk. And remember, if, we, if, you, if you see your little blanks, it's our walk. And that, the walk is the worthy walk. We're supposed to walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. Walk in light, walk in love, walk in wisdom, uh, walk of faith. We saw all that. We saw how that, that. And then we spent last time on our warfare. And it's against the world and the flesh and the devil. The emphasis that we really emphasized, though, was the flesh. And I think that's the one. When, uh, the reason I always emphasize that in this class, I mean, we, we've got a, a, a thing called the 412 Christian Life in which we deal a lot with world, flesh, devil, all that thing. And we got the study called Angels and Demons in which we deal a lot with the devil and the demons and that kind of thing. So in this class, I really wanted to emphasize the flesh because that's where it really hits us. It just boils down to the fact that we're fallen people. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God in us. And we got a battle going on, and it's a warfare. And so, uh, so it, we want to have victory. When we start thinking about it, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have, and if you've got the little thing right there, those who trust Christ, we have the gift of eternal life that comes by faith. There's something I, that I've been putting up lately. Just I just want you to see it. Most We've talked about it so many times, so it's not anything new. But when you talk about the good news, the gospel, there is, of course, the message and the, the response and the offer. And the reason I put it that way, and we've talked about it a lot of times, uh, what is the message? The message is that Jesus what? Died and rose again. He died to pay for sin, and he rose again to conquer death. Is that right? So that's the message, right? Isn't that the gospel, the good news? 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he's buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The response is what? To believe. To believe in Christ, and, and, and that's faith. And it's faith alone. It's not faith in works. It's not faithfulness. It's faith alone. And then what is the offer? Eternal life. And the reason we put it this way is we go back to the most famous verse of all, which is John 3.16. And it is that God so loved the world, and that's who? That's us. That he gave his son, gave him to what? Die and rise again. That whosoever, the response is whoever, would believe in him would not perish but have what? everlasting life. And so that's what we, when we start thinking about the whole issue of salvation and the offer and that we're saved by faith, that's what it boils down to. So from that point, we then start thinking about the Christian life. Those of us who trusted Christ as Savior, we have the gift of eternal life that comes by faith. But when we think about that, there are really two ways we could live as one who belongs to Christ. Two ways we could live. One, we can live for ourselves. 
right now, temporal. And that's, and I, I hate to say it, but first of all, the world is for themselves. But then Christians, those of us who have trusted Christ, we have eternal life. How are we going to live? We, we, a lot of times we live for ourselves. We wake up in the morning and we say, what am I going to do today? What do what I want to do? What job do I want to do? Do I want to keep this job? Do I want to go to school? What do I want to do? How do I want to live? How, how do I want to be treated? How do I want to do this? And we think about ourselves. And so it, it's, the problem is we're thinking now. What do I want? In fact, most people don't think exactly for now. They're actually thinking for the weekend, right? That's what I hear all the time is people say, I'm living for the weekend. They, you know, they don't want to go to work on Monday. When they get to Friday, they're so excited because then they have Saturday and Sunday off. And people live for the weekend. I read a, st- a statistic the other day that 80% of people do not enjoy their jobs. 80%. They do not enjoy their jobs. Uh, and, and so my advice is find something you enjoy and love and do it. And get paid for it. So it could, you know, I love what I do. I, I can hardly wait to get up every day. I actually love to get up. I love to get up and, and, and either study or teach. Because, I mean, I mean, I do a lot of other things as well. But just think about it. I have to study to teach. And I, lo- and I don't mind studying. And I love teaching. And, and so I, I, I'm not one of the 80% that doesn't like my job. I love my job. I love what I get to do. And we all should look at life and say, wow, why am I here? Is it for me? For right now, what's happening, or we can live for God, and it's eternal, and it's forever. And when we stand before him, what do we want to hear him say? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want, and that's what we're looking for. So here's what we're thinking about. We, there's two ways to live, and either it's either for him, for, for ourselves, or for God. And we know we want to live for God. And so if we want to make a decision, we say, we want our lives to count for Christ. I've got there that there are three foundational things to do to be effective. And you can write the three things down. The ones on the, I don't know if your page is the same as mine, but bottom of the page and then the top of the next page, there's one, two, three. We'll write the three down and then we'll go into the details. So what? here are the three things we need to do to be effective. If we're going to say, I want my life to count for Christ, three things. We need to offer ourselves to God. That's number one. Number two is keep our focus on Christ. I'm going to let you, some of you may have already written it down. So offer ourselves to God, keep our focus on Christ, and the third thing is realize that we are here to represent Christ. So the big three, offer ourselves, now this is before we even start saying, what am I going to do? This is, we're saying, if you want to be able to live for Christ, I think these are three things you have to do. You have to say, I want my life to count for you. I have to go through life looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And I have to realize that I'm here, not for myself. I'm here to represent Jesus Christ. So as we look at this, let's talk about a little bit more detail before we get a little further. And that's the first one is we offer ourselves to God. I want you to look at this. And this is, this is the first thing. And we've talked about this many times. This is not salvation. There are, there's what we call lordship salvation is people say things like, in order to be saved, you give your life to Jesus. You offer your life to Jesus in service. That's lordship salvation. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a person who's already trusted Christ. We have the gift of eternal life. We're saved and saved forever. We come to a point where we say, Lord, I want my life to count for you. And so Paul says, I urge you, brethren, he's writing to believers, writing to the church at Rome. I urge you, brethren, as by the mercies of God, what do you do? Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. He says, give your life to Christ. Give your life to God. Give him your body. And, and they would have understood because there was a whole sacrificial system in the whole world. And everybody had these gods. And, they, and he's saying, offer your life to God. 
And we could say the same thing for every one of us in the room. I trusted Christ at age 19. <clears throat> and I immediately went from hell to heaven. I immediately went from having a destiny, which would be the lake of fire, to having a destiny, which would be with Jesus Christ forever. That happened immediately. I didn't grow very much. I grew right at the start. Then I stopped growing. And it was all the way up till I was 26 when I came to a point and I said, Lord, I want my life to count for you. And I actually literally one night said, I, I give you my life. I want my life to count for you. I did that. And, and, of course, this passage says, I offer your life to God. And he says, don't be conformed. Stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you know what God's will is. And that old saying is, if you're not consciously being transformed by the word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. Now, I want you to think about that saying again. If you're not consciously deciding you're going to let the Bible be in your brain and, make, and, and change you and, and be transformed the inside out, unconsciously, this world will shape you. And, and there are many, many Christians who don't even realize they're just like the world, uh, and they don't even realize it. And so we, this is the first thing we do. And this is what I tell people. You, you've trusted Christ. You have eternal life. Are you to a point where you're ready to say, Lord, I give you my life? Now, this is huge because you're dying to yourself. It's, it's the same as discipleship. It's where Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He actually says, if you don't take up your cross and die to yourself, you cannot be my disciple. He didn't say, by my child. We become a child of God by faith. It's simply faith alone. We become a disciple by saying to God, I die to myself and I live for you. I think the first thing we got to do, and I, I'm probably, probably every one of you in this room have already done this. Every one of you in this room probably have already said, Lord... I give you my life. I want to live for you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. My life is yours. And I, I have to tell you that I, I changed a little bit when I trusted Christ. I changed a lot when I gave him my life to serve him. That's when I began to be a different person. Not saying I wasn't saved, not saying I wasn't spiritual sometimes and things, but I didn't really grow until I came to the point that I said, I want my life to count for you. So here's the first thing for all of us. If we will make an impact for Christ, it, now I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit scary because it's like Jesus said, don't put your hand to the plow and then look back. Don't say, I, I might just offer my life and then I might take it back. Well, you're not going to take it back. You know, he, he says, no, you, you gave it to me. Okay, and he'll use you. The second thing is, uh, so we offer our lives to God as living sacrifices. We give our lives in service to him. The second thing is the Hebrews 12. And that's where we run the race looking unto Jesus. We keep our focus on Jesus. I love this passage as well. I want you to look at it. We have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. That is believers that's gone before us. He says, here's what you do. You put aside anything, any weight, and the sin, whatever the sin may be in your life, lay aside anything that's slowing you down and the sin which entangles you. So get anything out of your life that's stopping you from growing. Run with endurance. And how do you do it? You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. So what we need to do is as those who say, Lord, I want my life to count for you, then there may be things in our lives that are good, but they're not the best. There may be things that are not sinful, but they may be slowing us down and keeping us from growing. So he says, lay aside any weight. The word encumbrance means weight. And then he says, and the sin. They're, they're always, I think, I think most people have something that they really struggle with. 
because uh, the flesh is so evil, and, and we struggle with it. And he says, you got to get that away, and you got to run every day, moment by moment, run with endurance, the race set before us, the course that he has for us, and you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. You've, you've heard me you know, say that many times, I think, run the race focused on Christ. You've heard the story of, we always talk about Peter getting out of the boat, and, and you know, Jesus walking on the water, and Peter said, if it's really you, command me to come out, and Jesus said, come out, and everything was going good until Peter saw the wind and the waves, he had his focus on Christ, and everything was fine. When he took it off Christ and put it on his circumstances, he begin to sink. It happens in the Christian life. If we keep our focus on our Savior, if we keep studying the Bible, putting it in our brain, see what Jesus likes, seeking to live for Him, we're going to be okay with fixing our eyes on Jesus. But if we take it off and we put it on everything else, we're going to start to fall. And so, so far, offer your life and then run the race with endurance. And then the third thing is remember who we serve. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making the appeal to us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're the ambassadors for Christ. Who do we represent in this world? We represent Christ. And I say this, and it sounds a little bit funny sometimes. I'll say something like, you don't represent Stillwater Bible Church. Now, it's okay to invite people to come and say, hey, I go to Stillwater Bible. I want everybody to come, and we love our church and all this. But you don't represent Stillwater Bible. You represent Jesus Christ. You know, it's okay to say, this is my church, and we are supposed to meet together, and so we meet here. We want you to come meet with us. But you are an ambassador for who? Christ. That's who we represent. And so as we think about making an impact for Christ, we, we we represent Christ. And so we say, listen, here's what I want. I want to offer my life to Jesus Christ. I want to keep the focus on Christ as I go through my life. And then I want to remember that that's who I'm here for. Now, some of this passage tonight is so familiar that some of you could easily come up here and say, uh, just step out of the way, JB, I'll take, the, I'll take it from here. You know, I mean, you could, because some of it is very familiar, because we're talking about our commission. That, this lesson is, what do we do? What, what's our, what's our, you know, as we, we call the lesson, the Christian life, the purpose what is our purpose? And we started a while ago and we talked about he left us on this earth. We have eternal life. What is our purpose? He says, well, you're going to make an impact for me? You offer your life. You run the race with your focus on Christ. And you remember that you represent him. From that in mind, we talk about something That's the ambassador's part. We talk about now the commission. And this is so familiar. But let me tell you something. It's really simple to say it's so familiar. And you say to yourself, oh, I know that. I know that. And a lot of times people say, I don't really need to to go over that because I know that. And I'll say, come up here and do it. And they go, well, I can't do that. Well, then you don't know it yet. And when you're ready to say, I could teach this to other people and I could just get up on the board and I could teach this to other people, you're ready. But we all need to go over it over and over again. You know, I teach this, this tutu, and, and usually every other year. Well, and, you know, some people say, Jeb, you've how many years have you done this? And it's probably 25, 20, oh, 20, 25 years every other year. So I've taught this a bunch of times. And, you know, it's 28 lessons. And, I'll, and, and somebody said, don't you sort of get tired of going over the same lessons? I go, no. No, in fact, every time I study it, there's stuff I go, ooh, that's good stuff right there, you know. And it's really amazing, and I never get tired. In fact, I'll say something like, this is one of my favorite lessons. So don't get tired of things that you think you know. Just know it even better so that you can tell other people 
you know, and you can say, oh, I, here's, our, here's our purpose. Here's, here's our commission. Here's what our church is all about. I mean, if somebody came to you or you were talking to somebody and they said, okay, you go to Stillwater Bible, what, what do y'all do there? What is our purpose, our plan, and our process? What is it? What do we, if somebody said, what do y'all believe there? Well, I could say to you, what do we believe about Jesus, the Bible, and Christ, and, the, and salvation? Could you come up here and I say, tell everybody what our church believes about the Bible. What does our church believe about Christ? What does our church believe about salvation? Can you do that? Because what if you were talking to somebody and they said, what does your church believe about, about salvation? Could you say, I don't know, you have to ask JB. Right? You know, no, you, you have to ask you. So we, we're, let's talk about, this is so familiar, and it's what is our commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and the bottom line is this, it is to make disciples. That's what it really is. It's a very famous passage. You should have your Bible open to Matthew 28, and you see 18, 19, and 20. It's the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's not the last thing Jesus taught. He's on a mountain in, 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 in Galilee, near the Sea of Galilee, and that's not the last thing he taught. The last thing he taught was on the Mount of Olives, and he ascended to heaven from there. That's near Jerusalem. So a lot of times people think this is Jesus' last message. No, it's not. No, it's not. He told them to come up to Galilee, and he'd meet them there. He leaves from Jerusalem, basically the Mount of Olives right outside Jerusalem. So let, let's think about this. And when you think about our church and we say, what is our purpose? It's to make disciples. What is our plan? Equip the saints to do the ministry, build up the body of Christ. What's our, what's our process? Gathered and scattered. And we, we won't talk about all that, but let me tell you what we just redid. You know, some of you have joined the church. And, and some of it was a long time ago. Some of you maybe haven't joined yet. or th we, we just redid. We have a little, we had a little booklet thing that we would hand out that takes you through what we believe, how the church fits together and everything. We just redid the whole thing. Uh, it's a lot, I mean, same information. We didn't change a lot of it, but it really looks good now. And so I, I guess if you, once we get them printed, because we hadn't got them printed yet, uh, if you said, you know, I've, I've, I've already been a member, but... Can I have one of those or get one of those? And Because and, it basically says, here, what do we believe about Christ? What do we believe about salvation? What do we believe about the Bible? How does our church function? What is, what is our purpose, our plan, and our process? How does it all fit? So with this in mind, we're just talking about, okay, what, as a believer, what is our commission? And it is to make disciples. Now, that sounds kind of different, but let me just show you something. <clears throat> making disciples is not the same as making believers. A lot of people think that the commission of Christians is to evangelize, is to lead people to Christ. But the bottom line in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's to make disciples. And making disciples involves two things, evangelism and training. And they go together. So you got to have both. And we'll talk about it as we go through this. But let's just see it. Matthew 28. If you remember, it, the background is Jesus just completed his, his three-year ministry, three-and-a-half-year ministry. He died. He was buried. He rose again after three days. He's walked on the earth. He's appeared to them on the day of his resurrection. He has appeared to them at least eight days later. And now we don't know how much later this is, but this is now not in Jerusalem, but this is in Galilee. If you notice verse 16 of Matthew 28, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus designated, and when they saw him, 
then they worshipped him. Some were doubtful, and Jesus came up and spoke, saying. So he, this is Jesus in Galilee. This is sometime during that 40-day time period that he was on the earth. And so as we think about our commission, it is to make disciples. And, and, and so Jesus is going to say it, but there are three parts to this. Three parts to this, and I want you to see what it is. Three parts to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What we'll do is we'll, I think we'll write all, th- let me look at how we did it. I think we did it. We'll write all three down, and then we'll go into the detail on it. The first one is this. We see the authority is Jesus Christ. So part one, the authority is Jesus Christ. Okay. Then there's a two. The two is the commission. The commission, and the commission is to make disciples. The commission is to make disciples. And I hope that as you're doing this, you're saying, I, I know this, I know this, or, or I'm pretty confident that I know this, or I've heard this a lot of times, I, I'm, you know, I know it. And the last part is the comfort, and that is Christ with us. So the authority is Christ. This is part of making disciples. The authority is Christ. The commission is to make disciples. And the comfort is Christ is with us. This is what we're seeing in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So let's, let's take the time to look at this. And the very first thing is that the authority is, is the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is speaking. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, now by the way, I don't think, now, l- 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 let me ask you a question. This verse, verse 16 says, The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Who was that referring to? Who saw him and some were doubtful? What's the context of the passage? What does it say? Anybody want to say anything? Or are we all afraid? <laughs> it seems like He's saying the 11 disciples went there, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were what? Doubtful about what? What do you think they were doubtful about? I have no idea. Right? Does it say what they were doubtful about? It doesn't. Was it doubtful that is really him? Is it doubtful that... that uh, uh, you know that he what was what was what were they there for what what did he because he said it was a mountain that he'd already told them about so maybe they're doubtful on the reason they're there they don't even know who knows so Jesus came up and spoke saying and we'll get the first thing that he says to them especially to those who might be doubting what does he say all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth so when we start thinking about the authority of Jesus Christ he has all the authority all the authority has been given to him when we think about authority it's it, you know there's 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 two words there's a, a Greek word exousia means authority and there's a Greek word dunamis which means power and some people think power and authority is the same thing they're not the same thing authority has means the right to do something uh, power means the ability to do something he says all authority the right He's not talking about power right here, but he does say all authority has been given. And where is his authority? Where is it? Heaven and earth. That's pretty much what? That's everywhere, right? <laughs> think about it. So all authority has been given to him, heaven and earth. And so when we think about that, how? How is he the authority? I want you to think about this. Number one, he's God. He's God. How is he the authority? He's God. In the begin- John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... God. And we got, John 1, 14 says, the Word became flesh. And how about John 10, 30, I and the Father are what? One. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They said, 
uh, he said, for what good work do you want to stone me? And they said, not for your good work, but because you being a man have made yourself out to be God. So, was Jesus Christ God? Or it, let me, no, don't say was. Is Jesus Christ God? Answer is yeah. You know he has all authority? All, he, he, he can do anything, right? In fact, that takes us to the second aspect of has the authority. He's the creator of everything. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. All things hold together in him. How did he do it? How did he create the world? What? He spoke it. Now, that's pretty much power, don't you think? I mean, that's the authority to do everything, because all he has to do is say, let there be light. Let there be plants. Let there be water. I mean, that's all he had to say, Right? I mean, he can say and do anything even right now, right? I mean, he healed anybody. He did anything you want to. He's the, he is God, and he is the creator. And all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. He made everything. And then the third thing is his position. And his position is that he rules it all. He's over everything. And listen to this. Let me read this for you, this Ephesians passage. It says... God has brought this about when he raised up Jesus Christ and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above, listen to this, all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He has put all things in subjection under his feet, and he has given him to be the head over all things, even the church. Who is Jesus? He's everything. He's over everything. He has all power and authority. He has a name above every name. He is seated where? At the right hand of the throne of the Father. Think about that. So Jesus Christ in a body is seated at the right hand of the throne. What's the Father look like? What does the Father look like? I don't know. He's a spirit being, right? What does the Holy Spirit look like? I don't know. I mean, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, but that... The Holy Spirit's not a dove. What does the Father look like? Who knows? In fact, if you see, if you go to Ezekiel and you see that thing coming, and it's got these hooves that come down and wings and angels and eyes and everything, and this thing and this thing's burning here, and then there's a rainbow thing. I mean, it's it's wild looking. We who who knows what that is? And then if you go up to the heavens in Revelation four, you know, four and five and all that, and you see this throne and. You know, 24 people around it and all these angels and going holy, holy, holy and all of this stuff. And, and uh, you know, what does it look like? You, you, you don't know. I mean, so Jesus has a body and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That to me is, I mean, it's amazing. Because Jesus didn't always have a body. Right? I mean, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are for all, for eternal, Right? And at a point in time in history, the Son became a person. The Spirit didn't become a person, and the Father didn't become a person. The Son became a person. He's the God-man. That's why it talks about there's only one mediator between man and God, the, uh, between men and God, the man, Christ Jesus. So his position is the ruler of everything. So he's God. He created everything. And by his position, he has all authority over everything. So when Jesus starts off, he says, listen, all the authority has been given me in heaven and earth. 
So if he has all authority, Matthew 27, uh, 11, 27 says he has all authority. Colossians 2, 10 says he's the head over all rulers and authority. Romans 14, 9 says he has over authority over the living and the dead. He has it all. So realize that he has all authority and he's about to give us a commission. I mean, it's not just somebody coming up and saying, um, I'd like, to, if y'all get a chance... I'd like for you to do this. That's not what it is. This is the ruler of the world who has all authority. And here's what he says. All authority has been given to man in heaven and earth. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, this is what I want you to do. So sometimes people, uh, what was it? Was it uh, buddy, was it you talking? And you talked about this. You were with this man. And you said something about making disciples. And you said, I'm taking a class. And, uh, you know, I want to be able to disciple others and all that. And he said, what? Oh, that's not for me. Yeah, okay. So Jesus said that is for him, right? Didn't Jesus say, here's what I want you to do? And we don't want to say, that's not for me. Thank you. <laughs> no. So are we making disciples? And if you're not, and if we're not, we ought to say, wait a minute, the one who has all authority in the heaven and earth as God creator in his position, he's told us what he wants us to do, so are we doing it? So when we think about all this, he's seated at the right hand of the Father until he returns to the earth, and, and we, we are the ambassadors for Christ, so he's going to give us our commission. So that's part two. Here's number two, is the commission. What exactly is the commission? It's a famous passage. People call it the Great Commission. By the way, the Great Commission is in Matthew 28. The Great Commission is in Mark 16. The Great Commission is in Luke 24. The Great Commission is in John, basically 21, 20 and 21 there. And in Acts chapter 1, the Great Commission is there. He has a commission in every one of those. It ends up being the same thing, being witnesses of Christ, making disciples, doing all of this. So what is the Great Commission? That we, and, and, and by the way, and there's only one command. Let, let me... Let me read something for you. If, tell me if your Bibles read any different than this. Jesus came up and said, All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Here we go. It says, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Does your Bible say, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations? Any of them say different, anything differently than that? Do they all say go? I mean, anything say diff, anything other than go? Okay, well, first of all, Go is not a good translation. This is not a command. It looks like if I said, go get something to eat, that's a command. But this word is not really go. It's actually a participle, which is as you are going. And if you notice, it says as you are going, as you are baptizing, as you are teaching. There are three participles there. There's only one command in the whole thing. And you know what it is? Make disciples. Now, most of you know this. So literally, if you were reading this in the original language, it would say, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. As you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations. As you are baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As you are teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So in reality, there's only one command. And what is it? Make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. There it is. The command is make disciples. Now, we're going to talk about the big three things, going, baptizing, and teaching. We're going to see that in just a second. But that's what he says. In fact, there is the threefold aspect of as you are going, as you are baptizing, and as you are teaching. So if you're going to make disciples, what three things do you do? You go, you baptize, and you what? Teach. 
That's making disciples. And by the way, look at this real quickly. The going and baptizing, going and baptizing, deal with evangelism. And the teaching deals with what? The training. That's what it's all about. That's what this whole thing is about. So, and and we'll, we'll talk more about this in a minute. Because if you're going to do this, think about this. If you're going to do this, you're going to have to know some stuff. Right? You're going to have to know some stuff. You can't not know the scripture. You can't not know the truths. How are you going to go out and make disciples if you don't know what to say or to tell them or to teach them or to help them? How are you going to know? Why do you think most people don't ever evangelize or most people don't ever train anybody? You know why? They say, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know how to share my faith. I, I don't know how to teach the Bible. I don't know any of this. So if we're going to make disciples, which is going where they are and baptizing them, leading them to Christ, and then teaching them to obey all that he's commanded, we're going to have to know some stuff, and we're going to talk about it in just a minute. So here we understand that our purpose is not just to make believers, but it is to make disciples. Now, we've got to stop for just a second. Um, Let's see. What is the distinction? Because this is, this is, I think, important. What is the distinction between being a believer and being a disciple? Because people get confused. Because when we talk about making disciples, that's not the same as making believers. Here's what I want you to understand. Making believers, it, salvation is a gift. This is over here. Part of making disciples is evangelism, is the salvation message of telling people about Jesus and they trust in Christ for eternal life and they're saved and saved forever. Salvation is a gift that costs nothing. But the idea of disciple, which is this whole thing, costs you because not only do you come to know Christ as Savior and have eternal life, but then you've got to train and, and teach and be ready to, to, to to touch other lives for Christ. And we give our lives. It costs us everything. That's why when we talked about being a disciple, we started with Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer your life as a living sacrifice. There's a huge difference. Now, what I see, and this is, the, I think, the issue, is so many believers and so many people have mixed up and, and they bring together salvation and discipleship. They bring together and they'll say, in order to be saved, you give your life to Jesus. So they're, they're saying what you have to do to be a disciple, and they're making that to be a believer, and they add works to salvation, and they confuse everyone. Do you agree with this? Yeah, and we see it all the time. So remember, salvation is a gift that costs us nothing. Discipleship. So let me go back for just a second. Yeah, discipleship costs us our lives. So let's talk about the three things. As you are going, as you are, what? As you are what? Baptizing and as you are teaching. Okay, so let's start with the first one. As you are going. What does that imply? Going where? Huh? Yeah, but going where? Everywhere, because, you know, there's this, there's this thing that for years, how do you evangelize people? You bring them to church, right? Oh, I'm going to bring them to church, and the pastor guy will get up and lead them to Christ, and at the end we'll have 19 verses of just as I am, hopefully getting them saved somehow. He didn't say, bring them to your assembly. He didn't say that. Because the church gathers for what? What two reasons? Worship and 
trained. It doesn't mean we don't evangelize because we always give the gospel just in case. But the purpose of gathering is for believers to worship and be trained. Where do we do evangelism? When we scatter out. That's why he didn't say, as they are coming. He says, as you are going. We go out where they are. We go out in our neighbors and, and our work and our lives. And we, we do all of this as you are going. And so this is the key thing. And the, the whole bottom line is the whole idea. We give them the idea of reconciliation. He says, God has reconciled himself, uh, th- us to himself through Christ and gave us. Now watch. Look at this. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says down here, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. We get to tell people how they can be reconciled to God, how they can have have eternal life as a gift. We get to do that. But it's not here. It's not... I, I, bet, you, I bet you everybody in this room knows Christ, right? <laughs> right? And probably on a Sunday morning, most people that come to our church for any length of time probably know Christ. I mean, we present the gospel just in case. So where are we going to make disciples by first going out where they are? Where are we, we going to go? We're going to go in our neighborhoods. We're going to go in our jobs. We're going to go to the park. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to go and, and meet, meet people. We're going to talk to them. You know, that old idea, everybody thinks that evangelism just going to knock on doors. I, I think lifestyle evangelism is really good. You, you, you just start meeting people and talking to people and getting to know people and share your faith with them. And so we go out where they are as you are going. And, I mean, I've watched it for years. And when I say years, because I didn't grow up in church. But after I trusted Christ, I went to a church that really taught the Bible and was very clear on the salvation message. And at the end, at the end of the service in the first church I ever went to after I trusted Christ, he would say at the very end, we're going to sing one stanza of a certain verse. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have any questions, if you would come down to the front, we'd be glad to tell you how you can have eternal life. That, that was what they did. Uh, we don't have an altar call or anything like that. Uh, what I found in the very early days is that people were confused that coming down to a front, coming down to an altar call, coming down to do something was, in their minds... Oh, I just, I just don't think I'm willing to do that. And, and so it confused them with the free grace message of faith alone in Christ alone. So we, we haven't done it. And, uh, you know, if you said to me, have a song at the end, I would say, hey, we're going to sing this song. If you've, if you've, if you've uh, never trusted in Jesus Christ and you want to you make sure, you want to know for sure how you could just, while this song's just come down, I'll be glad to talk to you. That's how I'd probably do it. But I don't want people to think. I, I remember uh, interviewing a couple that wanted to join our church. So I was trying to find out. I didn't, I didn't know them very well. So I wanted to find out if they knew Christ as Savior. So I said, well, let's talk about it. Um, the, and I tried to kind of bait it along. And I said, tell me about, about your salvation. And, this. and they said, we were in church one day and we knew. And I said, what did you know? And they said, we knew we had to go down. And I said, okay, go down for what? And they went, we just knew we were supposed to go down. I said, they didn't even know what going down was about. They were so confused, they thought going down to the front had something to do with their salvation. And so we got to be real, we got to go where they are, right? That's what we do. We go where they are. And the second thing, 
All right, so share the news so others can be reconciled. That's what we do. The second aspect, as you are baptized. And we've got to be a little careful because Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is, what is baptism for? In fact, what does baptism mean? What does it mean? It means what? It means to dip or identify. Listen, here's what's so weird. Back in those days, the word baptizo, the Greek word baptizo means to dip or identify. And it goes back to a guy had this big, big pot and it's full of dye. And he takes a cloth, a white cloth, and it's purple. And he dips it down in there and pulls it back up. Now it's purple. So it dipped or was baptized or identified with the purple. And so what baptism actually is, is an identification or a union with something else. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're placed where? Where are we placed? In Christ. We're in union with Christ. So baptism is to identify with Jesus Christ. That's what it really boils down to. That's why he said baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is very it is important. It is a way for believers to publicly identify with Christ. I've had people come up to me and they say, you're supposed to walk down the aisle so that you can show people you've trusted Christ. I said, the way you show people you've trusted Christ is by your what? By your what? By your baptism. Listen, see, don't get mixed up with this. Walking down an aisle and telling, that's not the biblical way of saying, I've trusted Christ. The biblical way of trusting, Christ, of showing people you've trusted Christ is for me to put, get out there and say, this person has put their faith in Christ. They died and rose again with Christ, so we're going to baptize them, showing their death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ. It's their testimony. Baptism is a testimony that you have already trusted in Christ as Savior. So that's all it is, is identification. And it's very important that, let, let's see, let me go back. It's very important that believers identify Listen, in certain parts of the world, in the United States, it doesn't mean anything almost. Certain parts of the world, you can say you believe in Jesus and it's fine. You get baptized, they can kill you. Because it shows you're serious. It shows you've actually said, I've identified with Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Jesus said, as you go out where they are, lead them to Christ, then do what? Identify them with Christ. Identify them, and basically identify with them in the body. They're to connect publicly with Christ and come into the body of Christ and that kind of thing. And so then there's a third thing. And what is the third thing? As you are teaching them. Now, I, I, sometimes I'll do this on purpose. I'll read it and I'll say... Uh, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Is that what it says? What does it say? Teaching them to observe. The word observe means to obey. He didn't say, teach them what I've told you. He says, teach them to obey what I've told you. This is the training. This is the training. This is where it boils down to. So we go out where they are, we lead them to Christ, we identify them with Christ, and then we begin to teach them and train them so they can make disciples themselves. In fact, that's the key. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, what do you do? You entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. That's why this class is called the 2-2. It's based off 2 Timothy 2-2. And our goal is that as we teach through these 28 lessons, that you'll get this down and you'll be able to take what you know and pass it on to others. You'll be, you'll be a disciple and you're going to be making disciples. See, the only way you can make disciples is you have to be a disciple. 
You have to know the truth. You have to know all those things. And so it's really, really, really powerful. And so that the, the goal is this, take what we learn and pass it on to others. And that, that's what we want to do. And th- think about this. To make disciples, now watch this. You're going to love this. To make disciples, we must do two things. Number one, we must know the gospel. Why? Why do you have to know the gospel? So you can what? So you can evangelize, right? The only way you're going to be able to evangelize is you got to know the message. you got to know that Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have what? Everlasting life. you got to know that, and you got to be clear on it, okay? But there's a second thing. If you're going to make disciples, you got to know what? The Bible. If you're going to do this over here, you got to know the Bible. How are you going to train people if you don't know the Bible? And I'll tell you what, the thing to start with right now, what do you believe about Christ, salvation, and the Bible? That's the big three. You could take anybody and sit down with them and say, let's go over what the Bible says about who Jesus Christ is, what the Bible says about the Bible and how it fits together, and what the Bible, what we know about salvation. See? That's a good, good place to start. But the bottom line is, if we're going to make disciples, you've got to know the gospel so you can evangelize, you can go where they are and identify them, and then you've got to know the Bible so that you can teach them to obey all that he's doing. Wow. Isn't this great stuff? I mean, we know it. I mean, you're saying, I know all this stuff. The hard part is is not knowing it. The hard part is what? Doing it. Okay, here's the third thing, and this is the comfort. It says at the end, it says, Teaching them to observe all which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think there he's talking really about the church age. Or he, it sent, but since the church age hadn't started yet, he could even be talking about all the way to the end of the tribulation and everything, that he's going to always be with people as we get ready to go into the kingdom. But he is always with us. Do you remember that in Hebrews 13, he said, I will what? I will never leave you or forsake you. Wow, what should you fear? Think about this. He's with us. He's with you. When you go to class, he's with you when you go to work, he's with you when you go home, he's with you when you're driving by yourself, he's with you when you got a test, he's with, he's with you when you're nervous, he's with you when you're asleep, he, he's always with us. And when we go out and you, you've got an opportunity to tell somebody about Christ and you're afraid, you remember he's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and self-control. You don't have to be afraid. He's with you. And when you're getting ready to help somebody understand a truth from the Bible, you don't have to be afraid because he's what? He's with you. So it's powerful, powerful stuff. And uh, so he has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. So the big three, when we think about what we've seen, we've seen we have the authority. The authority is Jesus Christ. We have the commission. The commission is to make disciples. And we have the comfort that Jesus Christ is with us. So think about this. We have his authority. He sends us out. Let me let you get that written down. That's the big three from this lesson. Uh, did, I, did I say this about Ryrie's book already? Or did I? I? I think I talked to somebody before. Uh, well, let me remind you of this in a minute. We have the authority. The authority is Jesus Christ. He sends us out. He told us to go make disciples. We have the commission. The commission is to make disciples, and it's twofold, evangelism and training. As we are going and baptizing, that's the evangelism. As we are teaching them to serve all which he has commanded you, that's the training. You've got to know the gospel, and you've got to know the Bible. Listen, let me tell you something about learning the Bible. Did you ever take a class in college or somewhere, and... 
you know, or, or you knew the next semester and you went to get the book and they said they don't use that book anymore, they use a different book. Why? Because things changed. When you learn the Bible, guess what? It never changes. Uh, David beat Goliath every time. It's going to always be the same. It's going to be he picks up five stones. It's going to be that Saul was the son of Kish. If they lost their donkeys, it's going to be that Samuel was the last of the judges. I mean, nothing changes. And so anything you learn in the Bible, when you learn the gospel, when you learn the Great Commission, when you learn the purpose, plan, and process, when you learn how the Bible fits together, when you learn what Ephesians says, when you learn what Romans is about, when you learn these truths, You'll never have to say, well, that changed. It doesn't change. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharp and two-edged sword and never comes back void, always accomplishes the purpose. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we can grow. It is perfect. So don't ever hesitate of learning. The more you can learn, the more you can put it together and make application, the more you're going to be ready to do these things right here because it all goes back to that. And so it's a challenge for every one of us in this room. That the goal of coming to this class is not just gaining information. I mean, we call it a Bible Institute, but the purpose of the Bible Institute is to teach the courses that train us and equip us so that we can do the, the ministry. And the ultimate ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. And the ministry of reconciliation goes back to the command, and that's to make disciples. Leading people to Christ, training them, and equipping them. May we as ambassadors for Christ fulfill our commission as we go, lead others to Christ, and teach them to live out God's word. Is, is this some great stuff or what? I know. It's so familiar. You, you all say, well, I, I kind of I knew that. Well, I know. I know. Here's, here's our memory verse. Oh, boy. Look at it. But it's not that hard. Jesus came up and spoke to them. What is he say? All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. So what's the great commission? Go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You teach them to serve all I commanded. I'm, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You got the authority. You got the commission. You got the comfort. There it is. And, and you can get it.